I'm Aaron Hankin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. My name is Charlie Amio, and my question is, why is Baltimore's bus system such a mess? So allegedly our bus will be here in one minute, according to the schedule. Charlie, our listener, just finished up her work day. She's a law librarian at the University of Baltimore School of Law. Right now, she's walking up Charles Street in front of Penn Station. She is tapping back and forth on her phone between Google Maps and the MTA's transit app, and uh, she's trying to figure out when she might get home. Charlie lives in the Lauraville neighborhood in northeast Baltimore. She says on days when she can catch a car ride home with her wife, this commute takes about 15 minutes. All right, so we pulled it up on Transit app. I'm going to go ahead and hit go. And our commute's going to be an hour and 14 minutes. That bus that's supposed to be coming in one minute, by the way, it doesn't show up. I think we missed the bus. We arrived seven minutes early. Charlie gets back on her phone, and her two apps disagree with each other now about what she should do next. One says take the silver line, the other says take the green line. But it's kind of an academic debate at this point. She can see the GPS dots that show where the buses actually are on the map. None of these buses are anywhere near us. They're on the other side of the harbor right now. Charlie and her wife are a one-car household. Her wife has a longer commute, so Charlie takes the bus. They moved to Baltimore a year ago. When Charlie was looking for a job, they tried to factor public transportation into the decision about where to live. So they logged on to mta.maryland.gov. The website talks about how nice MTA Transit is here, that there's a loop system and then a grid system that underlies that. So you could, in theory, quickly get around. I, I think there's an issue when you rely on a ton of transfers, which they do seem to do here. But I had high hopes because, you know, government website is saying that all of this is great and it's it's not so much. And, and I did get warned, too, that, you know, it doesn't quite operate that nicely. But this was this was a different world to me. So we're going to take a different route. So do you want to take a walk? Yeah, I'm going to follow your lead. This all is right. your commute. All right. Give me a second here. Let's see. We'll do. I think we can do that one. It's a five minute walk. While Charlie heads up the street to try and catch a different bus, I will go ahead and uh, introduce my trusty co-host and reporting partner on this story, Hallie Miller of the Baltimore Banner. Hallie, good to have you along for the ride, so to speak. Thanks, Aaron. Hallie, you know this commute that Charlie is on from a firsthand experience of your own. I do, yeah. Charlie hit me up with her question for our Better Baltimore series. And so, just like you, I rode along with her and waited at the bus stops with her and mistransfers with her and watched her try to make sense of those dueling travel apps. Her commute is definitely an odyssey. Yeah. And uh, and you and I are here today to try and figure out why. We've got reports here from the Johns Hopkins University and the University of Baltimore that criticize this system as inefficient, inaccessible, unreliable, What does the MTA have to say for itself? Well, they're not saying anything. Actually, they declined our request for an interview, but they did email me a lengthy statement. It says, like many transit agencies across the nation, MTA has faced labor shortages due to the COVID-19 pandemic, challenging operating environments, and a dramatic increase in the rate of retirements. The team at MTA is working diligently to increase the reliability of our service. Our effort to reach full staffing levels will continue to be an ongoing process. Okay, so translation, they don't have enough bus drivers. 
that is the problem. Or you could say that is the symptom of a much bigger problem. We have a bus system on paper that isn't showing up in reality. This is Brian O'Malley. He's the president of the Central Maryland Transportation Alliance. He says that driver shortage is resulting in 20 to 25 percent of bus services being out of service. We also have a high rate of breakdowns of equipment compared to peer systems around the country, and that's from underfunding our capital needs. And the MTA has 60 bus routes in Baltimore City and Baltimore County. This is Danielle Sweeney. She also works at Central Maryland Transportation Alliance. She says it's not just drivers who are missing, it's also line supervisors, the people who track the buses and manage the routes. And the result of that becomes painfully obvious when you're a rider. You're out on the corner, you're waiting for the bus that's supposed to come in 10 minutes, you know, it's canceled, that's another half hour or hour wait for you. So we have fewer operators than most other cities. We pay our operators worse than most other cities. We have fewer managers than most other cities. We pay them worse. And then all of our equipment is in worse shape, so it breaks down more frequently. This is Jed Weeks from the advocacy organization Bike More. That is kind of a death spiral uh, that we could get out of with hiring more people and spending more money. And it's really that simple, and that's just what hasn't been done over the past eight years. There was a, a recent study that came out about MTA compensation. It said they have a 5% vacancy rate of bus operators. There's also absenteeism. On any given day, if a number of operators are absent, that prevents the service from getting out on the street. And if you're the rider at the bus stop, you, or Charlie's waiting for the bus, that shows up as like the bus that's supposed to come doesn't come. And then you're waiting an extra 30 minutes for the, the next bus to come along. So we made it to the bus stop with seven minutes before the bus was scheduled to appear, according to the apps, which are supposed to follow MTA schedules. We got there, we waited. It was supposed to be there at 5.35, it's 5.50 now. The bus did not show because we had either missed it or there wasn't one. So we're on Charles Street and we're walking north to catch a bus on, what is this big one? North Ave? We're yeah. going to the North Ave and Charles stop. The bus system now, it's... A good idea, but it's horribly executed. Bakari Height is a transit equity organizer with the Labor Network for Sustainability. He's also a recent transplant to Baltimore from Atlanta, and he's a deep believer in the promise of public transit. He rode the bus to get to our interview. I was late getting here because I was trying to, to decide which bus do I take, because that's a make or break. If you miss one of these buses, you've missed your whole thing. That doesn't look good in the faces of of transplants like me that want to stay here, of legacy residents that have been here forever that have are fed up and can't wait to get a car, and businesses that don't look at this as a great investment to be here if the public transit isn't good. They'll go to places like Austin. They'll go to places like Charlotte or Atlanta that are investing. And Austin's putting $7 billion into their transit system. And now we're struggling to get any of these projects through the General Assembly, even with our new administration, you know, it's going to be difficult to determine whether the state of Maryland really wants to invest into this or if they just want to let it die. Back in Atlanta, the transit system there is called MARTA. And Bakari was an organizer with a grassroots group called the MARTA Army. They picked up trash at transit stops and they advocated for riders to the administration. And if you're a Maryland MTA official, what Bakari is about to say is the last thing you want to hear from a hopeful new arrival who really cares about public transportation. Atlanta wasn't the best in, in public transit, but I would, I would get my left foot to go back home. It was so easy to get 
to and from the airport or to and from a stadium or to and from the grocery store. I used to go everywhere on transit in Atlanta. And I didn't own a car. I didn't have a car for eight years. Now I have a car here, and it's just like I try not to drive as much, but it's just with trying to just play this mind game of what bus is going to show up, I don't understand how a lot of folks in power don't see this as something to fix. Part of that problem is that the people in power aren't the people in Baltimore. One key difference between us and and other cities is that we are a state-run transit system in the Baltimore region. Brian O'Malley from Central Maryland Transportation Alliance says Baltimore is the only large transit network in the country that doesn't have its own board. It has no local authority over quality control or decisions about how to expand. It answers to the governor. And so, for example, in 2015, when the the Red Line light rail project was canceled, that was a decision of one individual, Governor Larry Hogan, and the, the Baltimore mayor, the Baltimore county executive, had no official say in that decision. Okay, so the mere mention of the Red Line is a surefire way to raise the blood pressure of anyone who cares about public transit in Baltimore. This was a huge initiative that would have connected West Baltimore and East Baltimore neighborhoods with majority of zero-car households. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of locals, Jed Weeks from Bikemore was excited. This was going to be a game changer for the city. It was at the finish line. It was ready to be constructed. Uh, we had local money already spent on it. We had almost a billion dollars of federal money allocated for it. Uh, and Governor Hogan basically had the power to cancel it himself for no reason, and he did so. During the Hogan administration, transit advocates did manage to help pass legislation that required the MTA to do something called a capital needs inventory. And what that means is they basically looked at all of their assets and what it would cost to bring them up to a good state of repair. And we subsequently, through the state legislature, uh, passed a funding increase for MTA that would start to address those deferred maintenance needs. And so... Like I said, this is not trying to make a better or new or improved system. This is literally keeping our existing system from falling apart. Now, Governor Hogan vetoed that legislation just to keep the system from falling apart. Uh, We were able to overcome that veto. That sort of delayed us a year. um, But we are seeing more investment in that deferred maintenance. Remember a few minutes ago when Jed Weeks was talking about the public transit system being in a death spiral? That is the negative feedback loop they have to dig themselves out of right now. The service becomes unreliable. People start relying on other means, whether they're you know, spending insane amounts of money on Lyft or Uber, or they're starting to bike or walk, or they're relying on rides from friends, or they're buying a car they can't afford. Whatever it is, they get off the system. And then the system has less ridership. And then that, exactly, it's like the incentive then to fund the system less, and then it just gets worse and worse. So it's sort of the starve the beast mentality that like Republican leadership has used across the country to starve transit systems. We were already seeing nationally transit ridership was declining from about 2014 until 2020 when the pandemic hit. Brian O'Malley again from CMTA. But there there were it's it's worth looking at a few places in the country that bucked that trend that that grew ridership even while most of the country was losing it. Seattle and Richmond are two that come to mind and they both provided more frequent service on the most popular bus routes. You can grow ridership by doing that. 
And so I think the comment about the death spiral is about momentum. And you can have positive momentum where you're, you're feeding the demand and growing ridership, and that, and that rewards more investment. People will ride good service, and we can grow ridership. CMTA organizer Danielle Sweeney. Three or four years ago, um, there was no like bus service between Baltimore and the old Bestial site. And then the 163 bus was created. It's an express bus. Half the trip is like on the highway. The trip from the West Baltimore Mark to Trade Point is 50 minutes. Lots of ridership, very successful, fairly frequent, 70,000 boardings a month that we didn't have a couple years ago. So maybe some signs of hope on the horizon. Maryland did get a windfall of federal infrastructure dollars during the pandemic. And in January, Maryland got a new governor, Wes Moore. Governor Moore has taken a great first step in saying that some of the surplus funds that he inherited can be allocated towards things like building the red line and matching those federal dollars. And that's something that the Hogan administration did not do. So I think he has a a tremendous opportunity to sort of right the ship here. It's just there's a lot of writing to do. (laughs) We know what's broken and what needs fixing in terms of on the capital side. We have a compensation study. We know where we're not competitive for paying wages. So we have a lot of information and we have money. So those are good things to have. And and where there's a will, there's a way. So I think we should be seeing improvements. City League goal. This is us. All right. Charlie is headed east now down North Avenue. She's about halfway through her commute. And we're going to find out if and when Charlie makes it home in just a moment. Google says that we're going to transfer at North Ave and Hartford, and then we'll walk 213 feet, wait for up to seven minutes, which means we might miss our transfer, and we'll transfer onto the 54. Our commuter, Charlie, is eastbound on North Avenue now. She is glued to her phone, counting the bus stops, because the bus we're on doesn't have any signs in it with route information. I should mention that Charlie is neurodivergent, by the way. I know I'm somewhere on the autism spectrum. I know I have ADHD. I know I have OCD. It's so much fun inside my head, right? It's really not. When it comes to riding the buses, I can follow a map really well, but I will not be able to tell you where I am standing on a street corner. So it looks like we're going to get out and we're going to take a right turn down this street. I think it's there. I see a bus shelter there. Yeah, I think that's the one. We're going to try that one. It says it's on time, and it'll be here in six minutes. So at 6.03, we're at the bus stop. It's going to be here. Oh, it got slower. It's going to be here at 6.10. They still say it's on time. While Charlie's waiting for her transfer, uh, Hallie lets you and I go ahead and uh, talk about the paradox of public transportation advocacy. Yeah, public transit riders can be easy for politicians to ignore because they're busy riding the bus and working. And if they want to get in front of lawmakers, they have to take a day off and then figure out how to get to Annapolis without a car. Bakari Haidt put it this way. This is a blue-collar town. People got to work. They can't always come to voice out their opinion. But if they do, you need to listen. 
elected officials tend to hear from people that have time to lobby them and advocate on their behalf. And that tends to be people with a little bit more privilege and a little bit more time. And a lot of people that are riding our bus system are spending those hours that they could be using advocating in front of their elected officials or attending public meetings, riding the bus to pick up their kids and to get to and from work. And even if they do have some time when they get home, maybe they do want to spend it with their family and not in a contentious meeting where someone who drove home from work is yelling about how the bus system is bad and doesn't deserve investment. I think it's important to pay attention as we advocate for investment in transit corridors like the North-South Corridor from like downtown to Towson. Pay attention to how people react to that in the community and the pushback. For example, like, you know, the Lutherville conversation around the light rail stop has been in the news recently. And it's a lot of folks coming to meetings saying, keep transit out of our neighborhoods. If you're riding the bus every day to your job at Amazon to pack up packages that get mailed to those people's houses in Lutherville, and you hear that on the news, you don't want to come to that meeting and listen to those folks yell about you being a bad person or, you know, you bringing crime into their neighborhood when you're actually bringing them their Amazon packages. You know, it's hard for folks like that to take the time or spend the energy on advocating on their own behalf. As a result, politicians don't hear that massive voice of the hundreds of thousands of people that rely on our transit system and in turn are the reason we have groceries in our stores and we have packages at our homes and we have health care at our hospitals. All right. Back at the bus stop on North Avenue and Hartford Road, Charlie's next bus has finally showed up. She's on the last leg of her journey home now. Uh, While she rides up Hartford Road toward Lauraville, Hallie lets you and I talk about that issue of political will. Is there an argument that can be made for improving public transit, bus transit, that will actually spur our political leaders in our region into some kind of action, substantive action? What do they need to hear? Well, advocates have been trying to figure that out, and this is their best pitch. Two of the greatest challenges we're facing right now as a society are the climate crisis and racial inequity. Brian O'Malley says public transit is a two-in-one answer to both of these challenges. It's a great thing to invest in to both reduce our emissions and to make a society where more people have equal access to schools, jobs, healthy foods, and other things that we need to live fulfilling and productive lives. Jed Weeks from Bikemore put an even finer point on this. Essentially, your commute times affect whether or not you're going to stay poor. That is a bigger factor than the percentage of households with two parents, than your test scores at schools. It is the number one factor. And so if we can deliver a robust, frequent, and reliable transportation system for Baltimoreans, it will start to solve all of our other intractable issues, like our schooling issues, like our crime issues, like the pollution across our city that is poisoning kids and seniors. All of that can begin to be solved. It's not a panacea, but it will begin to be solved and be solved most efficiently through an improved public transit system. And Bakari Height has this pitch to legislators. It's short, to the point, and probably the most powerful of the bunch. If anyone is listening who has any position of power, just imagine your grandma getting on one of these buses. Somebody's grandma has to get to and from across town. 
And if that was your grandma, would you let them ride the system? Given this infrastructure, how quickly are you going to make these improvements to make your grandmother feel more comfortable? It's coming up on 6.30 p.m. now, about an hour after Charlie started her commute, and she is finally rolling up to her bus stop just a few blocks away from her house. She's standing up already and waiting at the door for the second it opens. This is the first time I can quit looking at my phone. Thank you. It is 627. This was a good commute. One, I had company. That was nice, right? So I'm less bored. Um, And two, it actually went really smoothly. Did we miss our first bus? Absolutely. Did we almost miss that replacement bus? Absolutely. Did we miss the transfer? Yeah, but we caught the next one because at least that route runs pretty consistently. The smoothest part, the walk off the bus to home. Who can hate that? And if you can hear my dogs in the background, I'm super stoked to go see them. It's been, uh, it's been educational to ride on this commute with you, and uh, at least it's Friday afternoon. I wish you a, uh, a good and relaxing weekend, and uh, good luck getting where you need to go next. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in partnership with the Baltimore Banner. Big thanks to my Banner colleague, Hallie Miller, for joining me this episode. And Hallie... We did an episode on jury duty a couple of weeks, and you have an update, an, uh, another article you've got coming out about uh, developments in Baltimore's jury duty system. Yes. So we talked in the podcast about some restrictions on jury eligibility, some reasons that folks aren't able to serve. And one of those reasons is criminal records. So if you were formerly incarcerated for a year or more, or if you have charges pending, that could result in imprisonment for a year or more, you are not eligible to serve on jury duty in Baltimore or anywhere else in Maryland. But there is a bill that's being introduced this year in the Maryland General Assembly. It's the fourth year that this is being introduced in a row. And it might have a good chance of passing this year. People are really confident. And what the bill would do is it would strike that eligibility restriction and enable people who were formerly incarcerated for a year or more or who have charges pending that could result in being incarcerated for a year or more to serve on juries. And uh, you can read more of Hallie's reporting on this uh, developing topic at thebaltimorebanner.com. Hallie, always a pleasure to have you along with me, and uh, we'll do it again soon, yeah? Sounds good. Thanks, Aaron. You can hear that episode about jury duty and uh, the entire Maryland Curiosity Bureau podcast archive online at wypr.org slash curiosity. There's also an easy-to-use interactive form on that page where you can type in a question of your own and uh, put me to work. Where we go next is entirely up to you. And uh, by the way, if you like the show and uh, you want to do us a favor, you can always leave us a review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you listen on, just a couple of lines. Your words really do go a long way toward helping other curious listeners find their way to this podcast. So thank you for that. I appreciate you. Okay, for the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch, and uh, we'll do it again next week. 
the Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture. Online at thepeelcenter.org.